Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches for the upcoming Sunday. Today's texts remind us that each of us has a calling in a world that needs a community with a heart for healing and justice. Welcome to What Does This Mean? We're so glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We're the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we have carved out some time to talk about the readings that are coming up for this Sunday. This gives us a chance to look a little more deeply at the texts and think about them ahead of time. And we hope it gives all of you a chance to also think about the texts a little more uh, deeply before we hear them read on Sunday morning in online worship. We are entering a new season in the church year. These Sundays are called the Sundays After Pentecost. If we were going to be in the church, the color would change to green. Unfortunately, we're not meeting in the church, but it feels like the whole world has put on the color of the church right now, which is green. And it's really supposed to indicate a time of growth and learning. Sometimes it's called the season of the church when a lot of the readings focus on the Christian life and how we uh, follow as disciples of Jesus. And we start to see that in today's texts. But before I say any more, we should welcome our very special guest this week. We welcome Alex Stegeman. So glad that you could be with us. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on the podcast. Uh, This is a real treat. Um, I've been enjoying listening to it and really appreciate the opportunity to explore the Bible in this format. Yeah, my name is Alex Stegeman. I'm married to Stephanie, and we have two sons, Harry, who is six, and Eddie, who is four. We live in St. Paul. Uh, Lately, we've been enjoying going for hikes in, in local parks. We try to do our best to stay socially distant. And I work as a psychiatrist at Ramsey County Mental Health Center. We've been members of Gloria Day for over four years. I'm on the Mental Health Ministry Committee, and our mission is to educate on mental illness and reduce stigma surrounding mental illness. We do that largely through forums, but also on the, on the emails that go out, uh, things like that. Wonderful. Well, I think you'll have a really interesting perspective on these texts for today. We look forward to hearing from you. Why don't we jump in and uh, read the texts for today? Pastor Javen, would you read our first text? Yes, our first reading is from Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 through 8a, just the first part of verse 8. The Israelites had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians 
and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. As I read this, of course, I'm aware that this chapter precedes the readings of the Ten Commandments, so I think it carries some weight to it. What, what I like in particular is, is when God says to Moses, If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession of all the peoples. On the one hand, this is really reassuring to me, it, uh, giving me instructions for how to act, you know, if I keep God's covenant. On the other hand, though, you know, I'm a human. <laughs> I'm prone to making mistakes. I'm prone to sinning. It's, it's in my nature. And I'm kind of aware of what happened to the Israelites as they were in the wilderness. And I'm, I'm just aware that it's not always easy to, to kind of do that, to be keeping God's covenant. My first question is kind of understand the, the context of this passage how far out from enslavement were the Israelites at this point? And what do you think was their frame of mind? They seem very committed when they said, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And I'm just curious a little bit for that historical perspective. Well, that's a really good question. The question presumes that this is a historically accurate telling of, the, of what really happened. And there's some debate about that. I think in the narrative, this isn't long after they've left Egypt. They're about to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but at this point, they've just left Egypt. I was thinking about that, though, you know, they're so eager to obey, you know, they, they're really willing to do what God commands them, but they haven't even heard what it is yet. <laughs> and maybe that's maybe that's a metaphor for all of us that, when we embark upon something, we're really eager, and then we find out just what it's going to entail, and then our eagerness starts to wane, and sometimes we fall down and, and slide a little Have bit. Those? Have you seen those videos that are going around of people testing their little toddlers with the candy game? And they put a bowl of candy in front of them and say, do you like this candy? And the you know, kids are like, yes, yes, I do. I like this. And, and they said, now, here's the thing. You can't eat any right now. Just Can you just wait? I'm just going to run and use the bathroom. When I come back, we'll have some candy. Is that okay? And, you know, the experiment. Yeah, it's, it's classic. Yeah, classic psychological experiment. Yeah. And they, they test to see how long. And the kids are so eager to say, yes, yes, I will wait for you. I know I can wait. And, you know, so happy to say, yes, I will wait. And when you come back, we're going to have all this candy. And the parents are gone for, I don't know, 30 seconds or something, really a short time. But it is agony for the poor kids. And you know, many of them don't make it. You know, they just can't. But just hanging in there, you know, trying so hard. And I was watching one the other day. They pushed, She pushed the bowl away. Then she pulled the bowl back and just smelled it. And she touched it. It's like, oh, she knows. Um, but that, it, it seems so much like this. Like we're like little children. And God says, but here's the thing. I need for you to be my people. And to do that, there are going to be some commands. And we say, yes, we will do it. We want to be your people. And then as soon as life gets you know, a little too long, we just can't hold hold back and we start 
with the complaints or the complete ignorance, you know, acting as if we never heard any commandment or forgetting everything. And boy, that feels really raw and true to us right now as we see the unrest and the violence and the, the just complete ignorance of the needs of people of color and just going back and saying, no, no, we want to be better than that. You know, a few days later, after things get quiet, we just, we go right back to just ignoring the needs of our neighbors. Well, and it's probably also good to note that they had hardly been ideal before this point. You know, almost immediately after leaving slavery, they're complaining about life in the desert. So the entire story is this mix of saying, yes, we will, and no, we don't want to. And I feel like that kind of addresses your original comment, Alex, which was, you know, the struggle to have this kind of clarity about everything, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. Faith is always this mixed kind of experience for us. Another thing I would say about that is we always hear these texts as individuals. We're just so, so shaped by that. Like, if I do all these right things, then I'm going to be part of God's community. But I think mostly, uh, particularly in the Hebrew scriptures, it's a communal sense. It's if the community is doing these things, then you're going to look like my holy people. You're going to look to the world like my priestly people. If you don't do these things, you're not going to look like it. I don't think it's meant as this is the way you get in or this is how you get thrown out. I think there's a sense that the covenant people are in. God has made the covenant. It, it does kind of depend on their ability to live up to it if it's going to be seen in the world. Yeah, you know, reading this in the context of George Floyd being murdered and everything that's been going on, I actually have to admit this first gave me a little bit of some hope. You know, I kept thinking about the Israelites being enslaved by Egypt and through their faith in God, they were rescued and, and liberated. I, I just can't help help but have a little bit of hope, you know, that we as a nation can can heal and kind of get past this enslavement, this uh, systemic racism and that, that we're dealing with. Yeah, and then maybe the hope also comes in that God is going to continually call us to account to this, to say, here's what I want for the world. I laid this down for you, justice, peace, equality, compassion, these are the values, and I'm not going to let you forget it. I am When you fail, I'm going to keep coming after you because I am a God of liberation. And that means liberation for all people. Maybe another helpful thing in this story is it, it tells us that liberation doesn't just happen automatically on its own, that it requires vigilance. It requires continual work. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, which is how I read a lot of this Exodus story which is a helpful reminder to all of us, I think, that we it's not just like we're on a path toward justice and, you know, we can just buckle up for the ride. We actually have work to do and we have to keep at it. Yeah, we have to wander through the wilderness, huh? Yeah, right. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's not like it just, it's not like you just get to the promised land. Let's take a little break there and come back with the next lesson. 
Our second reading for Sunday is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. I have to admit, when I read this passage, I have to reread it. <laughs> you know, I, I find I, I do have to do that when reading Paul's letters. There, there's a lot, of, a lot of words there. I know you've talked about that before, long sentence structures and things like that. In particular, I'm drawn to verse 5, and I'll quote it, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I just find myself kind of circling back to that and, and re- remind myself it, ha- it is given to me, that Holy Spirit. Kind of contrasting it to keeping the covenant, I really like that idea of grace, that it, it's given to me. There's nothing, you know, I, I have to do for it, you know, except now I, now I feel the need to live up to, to what that means. You know, I have to admit, though, reading this in the context of George Floyd's murder and all the, you know, protesting and rioting that's been going on, and maybe it's just because it's still a bit raw, but this verse was a little bit difficult for me as I reread it. And specifically when Paul is talking about suffering, a lot of people in this nation have been suffering for a long time. And I just don't see how this kind of generational, this historical trauma and, and institutional racism as producing character or endurance. And, and maybe, again, it's just because that because it's so raw for me, I'm just not able to see the long sight. And I just kind of find myself asking, where was the Holy Spirit when, when this happened? You know, it's so, so I'm, I'm sorry to make this kind of a bleak uh, conversation. I guess I had a few questions about this. And, and really, my, my main question is kind of, con- I'm just curious how, how you, you three take the, the God that's presented in this passage you know, again, as as kind of freely given the Holy Spirit to us. And to me, I, I think that that kind of contrasts with the God from the first reading of, you know, obey me and keep my covenant. How do you kind of, you know, kind of synthesize those or, or bring them together, I guess? How do you reconcile them? I like what Pastor Bradley was saying a little earlier, but you, you caught it too. He uh, Paul reminds us that God's love has been poured into our hearts. God has already chosen the holy people and said, you're going to be my people. I'm not going to give up on you no matter what. So the Holy Spirit has already been poured into our hearts and the Holy Spirit is not going to give up. So that part's already established. The The part that we we struggle with was is what we do with that. In the first reading, we read people that we, we know are kind of, are going to be um, struggling with re- reminding themselves, remembering, staying faithful. In this case, for Paul, he, he has been oppressed. He, he once was an oppressor. 
now he has put himself as as one of the oppressed and has in fact been suffering for it as is now in in jail or maybe has been in jail as he writes this and recognizes what that suffering has done for him we've talked about this this reading and readings like it before on the podcast it's so easy to read it as a person in privilege or a person in power to say they're there you who are suffering not to worry because suffering's making you such good character and and helping you build endurance and that'll be really good for you and I don't think that's what the intention of it was at all. Paul himself was under the suffering. So I like to read it more in terms of imagine an enslaved group or a jailed group or a people that have known horrible suffering. And it's not hard to imagine people of color in our country whispering these words to each other. I I want to hear this sometimes as resistance to the power of oppression that for people who suffer there's a way in which they are saying to the oppressor oh no you don't this will not be how i am going to be defined you can create this suffering you can do this to me but you know what god's going to use that to produce something it's like Pastor Losa is saying, you've got to read this from underneath, not from above, if we're really going to try to grapple with understanding it. And I just, I just like that saying, uh-uh, no, what you do to me will not define who I am or who I'm becoming. And I was just thinking about African-American spirituals, you know, that we sing in church sometimes that grew out of slavery. But that's kind of the message of the spirituals, Pastor Bradley, right? Is this resistance, resilience, and in a way, they're so deeply faithful that what's expressed in those African-American spirituals is so deeply faithful compared to those of us who are privileged white folks in modern American society where we sort of feel like we can build our own lives and we go to church on Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do. But none of us actually really have this deep, I shouldn't say none of us, many of us don't have this deep abiding sense of it's only by God's grace that I can endure. And I think that's part of the message I hear in this text today. We should probably end there so we can move on to the gospel reading. We'll be right back. Our gospel reading for today is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Well, as, as I read this passage, I think about all the miracles performed and I think about all the strength uh, through faith bestowed on the disciples and it's dizzying trying to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. With that being said, I have to admit, I find, my, I, find I struggle with myself as I have to ask, you know, if being a disciple means going out and healing, curing, doing God's work. Am, am I a disciple? You know, oftentimes I feel like I am not. And so it's a nice reminder for me to read this. Okay, Alex, turn back towards God. I imagine that some would be troubled by what Jesus said about avoiding certain people, um, the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And Jesus says, focus on the Israelites. But, but I guess I tie this back to the Exodus passage where God describes the, the Israelites as his chosen or favorite, uh, the priestly amongst all of his people. But I'm kind of curious, what do you make of that distinction between Gentiles and Jews that Jesus emphasizes? I think there's a, a directionality in Matthew's gospel that the proclamation begins in a smaller way. For example, it even begins in Galilee and in Capernaum. But as you go through the gospel, it begins to expand wider and wider. So I don't, I don't think this is necessarily an exclusive thing because the whole gospel of Matthew will end with, go therefore to all nations, uh, teaching what I command, baptizing. Um, so Matthew's going to get there. I, but I've wondered about this too. I've wondered if like, Maybe this was all the disciples could take, that to have to carry the power of Jesus, it's better to start with people you know and move out from there as you gain confidence in your abilities. He was setting them up for success. Yeah, I was I was pondering this, too, because I also find it kind of troubling. And and I was thinking about how, if I remember right, Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. A lot of what Matthew is doing is this is the gospel where there's a lot of Hebrew scripture fulfillment. Tech. You know, it's like this is to fulfill what was said in the scriptures, like blah, 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 blah. And, it, and that happens over and over again in Matthew's gospel. And so knowing that Matthew is writing to a, 
Jewish audience makes me wonder, maybe here he's really trying to prioritize this idea that Israel is God's chosen people. And so, yes, the ministry that the disciples are called to begins with Israel. It's going to expand to all nations, but here Matthew's really, really trying hard to maintain that sense of chosenness of the Jewish people. Alex, you also mentioned about your your own uh, struggle to do miracles or to like, you know, be kind of extraordinarily doing the ministry of Christ. I think it's important to remember that in the first century, you know, casting out demons, healing the sick was not thought about necessarily as somehow outside the scientific realm that they had to do this work that wasn't natural. I think miracles are the way God uses us to heal and cure and and make a difference. And in some ways, by being, by even doing the work that you do, you are doing the work of the disciples through the gifts and the abilities and the knowledge that you have. To me, that's the, that's the miracle, is that all of us have the capacity to heal, to cure, to speak in the face of evil forces, you know, demonic forces of injustice and hatred. We have that within us. It's not extraordinary. It's naturally part of being a follower of Jesus. Yeah, Alex, in the first century, I think you would have been one of the people referred to here as casting out demons, you know, <laughs> but we we now understand what you do as work of healing and and helping people who have mental illness. And we have a different understanding of that. That's that's what the disciples were about. And and I was just reflecting on everything I've so we should say we're recording this about a week after George Floyd's murder. And just thinking about everything I've observed over the last several days here, I have met more of my neighbors than I ever knew before. I have all their phone numbers now. We're all on a text thread together. And there's been something really holy about the connections that we've been making in the last few days. Um, And I think that's partly the work of healing, you know, the ministry that these disciples are called to. But I think sometimes we get caught up in it and think, well, because I'm not working miracles or like, you know, I can't snap my fingers and heal someone, I must not be a real true disciple of Jesus. But I think actually healing sometimes looks much more mundane (laughs) than what we imagine reading the Bible. Pastor Javen, I like that image of because of the the unrest or the feelings of all all the different protests and situations going around in your neighborhood, you've gotten to know your neighbors. I wonder if that's what Jesus was talking about, like the lost tribes of, not lost to, to God, they're lost to me. You know, it's like the people right around me that I don't even know, the people right around me whose telephone numbers I've never even thought of asking for. Maybe Jesus is saying, Start with your neighbors. Start with the people nearest you and let them know there is good news. We are, we are a community. We are um, watching out for each other. And we, we, are, we, we share the same values of making our street, our neighborhood, our world 
a safer, more just place. Start with the message right there with the people in your own backyard. Yes, Jesus is going to send us out to the corners of the globe later. Um, but at this point, you have the power to cure every disease and every sickness right now in your neighborhood. And, you know, think of that in terms of the, the disease of our separation from each other and our, our sickness being our fear and distrust of one another. We have the means, God, God's spirit is within us to be able to start healing right there. In the wake of all the riots, I mean, I'm, I'm to understand there's lots of cleanup efforts that are going on around the Twin Cities and uh, food collection. And, and so maybe that's part of that healing and that, that Jesus is calling on, on us to do. That is a great final word from you, Alex. Thank you. And thank you so much for being with us um, on this podcast. It was really fun to have you here. And if any of you listening would like to be a guest on our podcast, we would love to hear from you and include you. We're interested in hearing what you have to say about what all this means. So feel free always to drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaysaintpaul.org. Thank you, Alex, again for joining us. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for providing the music for us and to the wonderful Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing this podcast for us. We invite you to join us online for worship every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.